I'm Emily Williams, and this is Understand South Carolina, a weekly news podcast by the Post and Courier. This week marked 100 years since the ratification of the 19th Amendment. For 19 days leading up to this Tuesday, August 18th, which was the official anniversary, we shared an interview each day with women from around South Carolina. These are women we admire for the work they've done, the organizations they've led, and the boundaries they've pushed. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Managing Editor Autumn Phillips, who's going to tell us more about the project and her own experience interviewing women for the series. So thanks, Autumn, for joining today. Thanks for having me. So just to start out, what is We the Women? Why did we do this series? Well, like you said, 100 years ago, they ratified the 19th Amendment, giving women the right to vote. We started talking about this last year, doing some kind of big event around the anniversary. We thought maybe we would do something, you know, in public with an audience at a theater, uh, maybe, a, you know, like a literary festival type uh, atmosphere with, a, you know, a panel. Uh, we did know we wanted um, our female reporters to interview uh, women from around South Carolina about their lives, uh, about their vote, um, and about how they had used their influence and their voice. Uh, and then everything changed. <laughs> uh, in March, it became apparent we weren't going to be able to do something in person, so we tried to rethink uh, what was possible. We came up with this idea of having four reporters, female reporters, choose women that they admired uh, and interview them in person, socially distanced, but our audience would be virtual. And uh, there wasn't a lot of instruction around who to choose. I let the, the reporters choose for themselves. It was really important to pick somebody uh, and you can talk a little bit about this, somebody that you admired and were curious about, and so it could be a real conversation um, just about what it's like to be a woman now and benefit, benefiting um, from all the things that have happened since that moment that we got the vote. Yeah, and I was one of the reporters who did uh, several of those interviews, and it, it was interesting to try to narrow down who to talk to and and I think we also went about it too trying to get women from different uh, spheres of, of work um, one in the religious life some women in politics uh, interviewed a chef uh, yeah. it, you know we, I think we got an interesting cross-section of, of people definitely yeah, because everyone had a really different um, really different picks for who they who they wanted to talk to. Sure. Yeah. And I got a chance uh, to do a couple of the interviews. Um, I interviewed Barbara Williams, who was the first female editor of the Post and Courier when uh, the two papers merged. Uh, she was at one time the only female uh, journalist in this newsroom. Uh, she was the only woman uh, and the first woman to cover the State House. Um, she's a legend, so I was nervous and excited to interview her, and we had a blast. Uh, and then I also interviewed our publisher. 
Yeah, I actually get asked a lot if I am related to Barbara Williams since oh. Williams since I work here. I am not, um, but uh, whenever someone asks that, it's always you know some kind of compliment about yeah just uh, the influence she's had on on the paper on this area and everything. So it was, I, and I watched and listened. So all of these are posted as as videos and also in in podcast form. It's a really interesting interview, and, and in one part she talks about just how much has changed in yeah. terms of the day-to-day -day of actually uh, re reporting and filing stories. And we're actually going to play several clips from those from these interviews that we had with, with women, and this one with uh, Barbara Williams is going to be the first. So um, can you tell us a little bit about this this clip and also why you thought it was an interesting point of that interview. Yeah. Um, you know, I said that I was nervous to interview her, but then once we sat down and started talking, you know, we were passionate about the same things, right? And we have both given our lives over to this profession and see it as a calling, not just a job. And so the second we started talking, you know, it was just back and forth, back and forth. Um, but, you know, she uh, she had a 45-year career uh, here, and a lot has changed since then. And I had seen this picture of her uh, when she was uh, at the beginning of her career, and she was sitting at the desk, and she had her royal typewriter, and she had her cup of coffee, and, uh, you know, her, her uh, landline phone, and this gigantic bottle of glue. And so I asked her about that bottle of glue? Yes. Is that possible? Oh, yes. What is, what is <laughs> we used to paste those pages together. <laughs> those glue pots were something else. Yes. Yeah, yes. I don't have a glue pot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, but, you know, I, I send my stories when I was first reporter by Western Union in Columbia. That's really? how, is that I, true? I, that's really true. That's really true. They'd come knock on my hotel door and I'd give them that copy and off it would go. And then how long would it take to get here? Well, enough to make the paper. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> and then we had other things in the Columbia Bureau. You know, sure. we had a teletype kind of thing, and yeah. college student would come in and type the stuff. But we went through so many phases of how to. Yeah. This is today. It's just amazing. The day that aired, that day that video went online, I got a lot of phone calls from people who knew her, and uh, I got a phone, an excited phone call from Brian Hicks, who wanted to tell me all about what it was like to work with her and what kind of a woman and a journalist she was. So probably like you, having her last name, you've heard all these stories about her. Uh, she got to tell a few of those stories during the video, so I'm excited to um, have more people watch it and listen to the podcast. Yeah, I definitely, I really enjoyed that one. Because even though I've heard some stories, it's it's very different to have that a pretty large chunk of time, just that one-on-one -on -one interview. And I think that's been one of the interesting aspects of this too, is maybe it's not that big in-person event, but you learn some more personal stories and details about each of the people who were involved, I think, because of that one-on-one -on -one aspect of it. The next interview that we're going to play a clip from is one that another reporter, Jenna Schiffrell, did, and this was with Dr. Mary Thornley, and I will also say, I feel like several of the other women who were interviewed referenced her as an inspiration or an influence or a, or a mentor, and, and she's the president of Trident Technical College, 
and I asked the other reporters who were in on these these interviews for some moments that that they really remembered and thought were uh, good to pick out. And this is one that, that Jenna really liked, and it's Dr. Thornley talking about her grandmother and how she thinks that she never voted and just how that makes her never want to take that right for granted. My mother was born in 1922, so she's always been able to vote. Her grandmother, or her mother, would have been alive when the right to vote occurred, and I'm sure she never voted. She lived to be 101, but she couldn't read or write one word. She didn't even know how to make an X for her signature. All that does is remind me so much how far we've come and how much this right to vote for about a half of our population can really matter. I'm not going to take this for granted anymore. None of us should take this for granted. The next clip you'll hear is an interview with Dot Scott, uh, who is the president of the Charleston branch of the NAACP. I will say, as we went through this project, I thought about how in our Constitution we did get the right to vote, but there was a lot of hard work uh, that came after that. Um, you know, Native Americans did not become citizens until 1924, and uh, so th those women didn't get the right to vote in 1920. Uh, there was a lot of... Um, the Civil Rights Movement was about voting. So even though it was on paper, not everyone uh, was able to freely exercise the right to vote. So I thought a lot about that. Uh, in this clip, uh, Dot Scott talks about taking her daughter to register to vote when she turned 18. Um, my daughter will tell you, and I've got only the one daughter, um, that there are some things that she never forgets. She's at 18, two things my mom said one I had to do and then one she let me do. I had had her ears pierced early on as a young kid. She wanted a second piercing. I told her, when you get 18, you can get another pierce. And then when you get 18, before you get the pierce, we're going to go register you to vote. Uh, the next one we're going to hear is from an interview that I did. This is someone who I've spoken with for stories before, and I've always just found her to be such a passionate person and I just realized I didn't know much about her background other than what I had read and I just really wanted to hear more about her personal experiences and it was a fascinating interview I think uh, I didn't pick this clip just because it's too long but I definitely recommend listening to the full interview for this but she's celebrating her 20th year as chiefess and head of state of the Gullah Geechee Nation here in, in, well, in far beyond South Carolina, but she is based here in South Carolina. And she describes that day on Sullivan's Island. It's a very spiritual and powerful experience, and she just described it in the most theatrical way. I don't know how she just said that off the cuff, but um, it's a really interesting part to listen to, but a little too long. So I wanted to play another part of that interview, and that's when I asked her about this current period of protests prompted by um, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, other instances of police killings and, and brutality. And she 
she said something that I thought was really interesting. It was that this has made her life easier. Uh, so we'll hear that from her. The protest made my life easier because where I had been targeted individually and people have threatened my life because I spoke the truth to power, because I spoke about the so-called uncomfortable conversations in rooms where people wanted to just play like everybody gets along all the time. You know, there were people who just point like, I don't want to deal with her, I don't want to work with her, and actually made death threats. Now here were millions of people saying the same thing. And not just here, but around the world, saying the same thing. So all I did was look up and go, thank you. You let me live to see a day such as this, a time such as this. And so I think it's critical that we don't lose the momentum of this hour and that people realize now that human rights are the issue and that we also have to dismantle racism. We can't ignore it. It is real. It does exist. It didn't go away. So I'd say, again, definitely recommend her, her full interview, shameless plug for one of mine, but I just thought it was really interesting, and she was one who had a lot to say about everything that's happening in our country right now and her place in that and how so many young women, which I thought was interesting, are kind of finding her for the first time, especially young women who don't live in South Carolina, but maybe of Polynesian descent, and they're kind of finding her work, seeing that she's been doing this for, for decades, and it's been kind of inspiring for those young people, and also validating for her too, that kind of what she's been saying for a long time is being said on a much greater scale by more people. The next person we're going to hear from was interviewed by Michaela Porter, who covers the city of Charleston, and she also covered the mayoral election last year, and she sat down with Sandy Tecklenburg, uh, the first lady of, of Charleston, and thought it was interesting also to hear Michaela and, and Sandy talk because she had covered that, that time and, and had covered that that election, so I think had some good insight on what to ask her about, and um, and and also just how she sees her role in the city, which I I don't think I'd heard that from her personally before. Well, in this clip, Charleston's first lady Sandy Tecklenburg talks about how she sees her role in the city. She also addresses the issue of her husband's business cards. A city council member called for an audit of Tecklenburg's office last year after he learned that Sandy's contact information had been printed on the back of the cards. I feel like one of my roles, and I'm just a, I'm a pretty good connector. I can kind of connect you to wherever you need to go or somebody in the city. And that's one reason I really enjoy and go into city council meetings. It's not to control, it's to listen and learn and know about people's problems because I, and I feel like the business card thing was just, we are open and accessible to whoever needs to call us. So again, if you listen to that full interview, she kind of elaborates on, on that even further after that point. Um, but like I said, interesting, interesting to hear it from, from her perspective, uh, whereas we typically hear from John Tecklenburg, our, our mayor, a lot of times. In this next clip, this is also an interview that I did, and kind of similar to 
the one with, with Queen Quet, I have uh, talked with this, this woman, this is Reverend Demet Jenkins, um, for stories before, but didn't know much about her own story, um, except for one interesting fact, and that was something I wanted to ask her about. So, uh, Reverend Jenkins is the director of faith-based engagement uh, for the International African American Museum, which is a museum that does not exist yet. It's under construction as we speak in downtown Charleston. And she, she's just had an interesting, an interesting life as a, as a reverend, um, but also a lot of, just a lot of work with, with service and with, and with uh, helping people. And she definitely has a, a big heart in that, and that really comes through. But she is also the granddaughter of Esau and Janie B. Jenkins, uh, two kind of civil rights icons, you know, here locally. Um, their bus actually was displayed on the National Mall last year. Uh, this is a bus that they used to help people get to work. They lived on James Island, and the whole deal was they would give people free rides, but in exchange, they needed to register to vote. So they were giving people civics lessons while transporting them to work for free. Um, just a, a fantastic story, but I wanted to ask her about not just being the granddaughter of Esau Jenkins, we typically hear his name more, but of Esau and Janie B. Jenkins. So that's what she's talking about in this clip. My grandmother was the accountant, the business owner. Um, she was the community organizer. She did everything. And she was able to afford herself to raise the kids and make sure the money was in the account and had the savings and determine what went where. She managed all of that. And um, we, we, our family, we have been real intentional about making sure we include her when we talk about my grandfather, because he could not have done all that he did without her. So I got a chance to interview PJ Browning, who is the publisher of this newspaper. Uh, she's somebody I've always admired the way she has this big job, but she also has this big family life and a big community life. She volunteers on a lot of boards and, and she has this little farm out in Awanda. She just is a very full person. Uh, it seems like she takes advantage of every moment of her day. So I asked her about that and her response to me uh, was about her husband and about what a support he's been to her and um, in so many ways made her life as it is today possible. We, we really needed to concentrate on one career more than the other. And he came home one night and he said, you know, he said, I really think you have more of an opportunity as a female yeah. to move with your career. Mm -hmm. And it's so strange because I really, That's I said, you know, it did. And I said, you know, it's something that I need to think about. And he knows me well enough that the next night he came home and he said, well, you're not gonna need to think on this long because through work I'd had opportunities, you know, to apply for this and eh. And of course we lived around all of our family. And anyway, he came home that night and he said, I went ahead and quit my job today. And uh, I was like, really? you did what? So- um, How old it, were you when that happened? 26. Really? That, that fits into um, this, this last clip that I have 
to um, or really the last interview that I'm going to talk about and that was with Anita Zucker the CEO of the Intertech group and and she spoke a lot in that interview about her relationship with her husband who was the CEO of the Intertech group um, he passed away in 2008 and because they had time to know they were able to plan together and they were able to spend time together for months uh, talking and planning out how she would take on that role of, of CEO and, and she, she said it was you know really interesting experience to become the head of the company in in that way um, and so that's, that's what this, this clip is, is talking about. While my husband was ill, unfortunately, we, we did have the luck of having 21 months. And every night I would sit down with him and, and he would teach me. He would give me pointers and insights and I would ask him questions and I kept um, a journal. And in that journal, I was able to write down a lot of the things that he taught me. And so that was extremely helpful to prepare me. And I'd been working in our office. I was the director of community relations for a number of years. And so at least people knew me in the office and um, could respect me for the work that I was doing. And so, you know, you have to, it's a whole big change because boom, it's me suddenly as the CEO and no longer Jerry. And so I really had to work to make certain that I could keep the team in place. Another plug for that interview is that there's also some really interesting parts where she talks about her mother, who was a Holocaust survivor. Um, and she just passed away earlier this year, um, lived a very long and full life. And there's just, again, that's kind of a longer clip, but just this fascinating story of her describing uh, her mother's life and the influence that she had on her. So, Autumn, what are the best ways that listeners can find all of these interviews and um, and, and listen to these listen to these podcasts? So we have them all on one page: postandcourier.com forward slash We the Women. You could also just Google Post and Courier We the Women. It comes right up. Follow me on Twitter at Autumn Edit. Uh, you can send me an email at aphillips with two L's at postandcourier.com. And again, all of the We The Women interviews are available in both video and podcast form. And just to make it even easier on you, we will share the links uh, to all of those in the notes for this episode. Uh, so be sure to check out all of those interviews. And if you have comments, questions, or suggestions for this podcast, you can find us at UnderstandSC on Twitter. Understand South Carolina is a production of The Post and Courier. Our music is by Billy Fountain. You can stream his music on Spotify at Billy Fountain. We'd love to know what you think of the show. You can reach us at understandsc at postandcourier.com. If you're a fan of the show, please rate and review us on the Apple Podcasts app. Keep up with the latest headlines at postandcourier.com. We'll see you all next week. <laughs>